Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Wright, and this is day 73 of our 120-day Upper Room prayer campaign. So far, we've prayed against many powers and principalities and broken agreement with the curses that these iniquities place over our nation. But today we're going to pray to break agreement with curses over the generations that have taken root because that many have believed the lies of the enemy and come into agreement, causing them to walk in complacency and compromise in both the lives of believers and in the very houses of God, causing the glory to depart and leave a powerless people behind. The Holy Spirit has ministered to us over these last many days in many different ways. We have preached, we have prayed, we have taught, we have released prophetically the words of the Lord. But today, I'm going to take you to the simplicity of the Word of God and we're going to have an old-fashioned Sunday school lesson. And I assure you, my friend, that if you can get through the next two days and grab hold of what the Lord is saying, it will leave you with a blessing where before the enemy meant to curse your generations because I have to take you through the story of Eli and Shiloh Shiloh was the very house of God the place where the presence of the living God dwelled and the priest of which God had commissioned to minister in this place of blessing that God had spoke great blessings on his lineage moved from blessing to complacent to compromising, to cursed. My friend, this was one of the hardest lessons that I have ever had to deliver. But this is a lesson that is invaluable to the church. It's going to take us two days to get through the entirety of what the Lord is trying to say through what I'm going to present to you. Because I have to take you through five generations of this priest's family so that we can see the importance of humbly seeking the face of the Lord and obeying his word. Because what might seem like a little thing to us has ramifications in the generations that God can see but we cannot. So that we need to learn how to trust what he is telling us. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what's convenient to us. It doesn't matter what it looks like to us or what it feels like to us we've got to learn how to trust in what the Lord is telling us because he sees the end from the beginning and he truly does want what's best for us but when we choose to trust in our own logic or in the lives of the enemy or the culture of the land and not in what he says it brings a curse which is simply the consequences of listening to that other voice because the plan that God has for us is good. He has a good plan to bring us to an expected end, but the enemy, he's got a plan too. And if we're not willing to trust what the Lord is telling us, then by default, we are actually being led of another spirit. The thing that we are hearing, though we may think it is our own thought or logic, it is always the enemy and it will lead us to a destructive end. The church needs to learn this again. And start walking in humility and faith and righteousness so that we can be in right standing with him again. 
in position to receive his blessings. God had told me last Thursday to study through Eli. And I had told Wayne Saturday night that we'd be teaching on the life of Eli. And I have to say that I don't know that I've ever seen the devil go into more of a panic mode than after, I I guess maybe I should have never said out loud what I was going to teach. Because when I tell you, it, 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 it got twilight zone. Like it came out of the woodwork. So this is definitely the word of the Lord. In a way, as I was reading through it, I, like, I felt like I was probably never more scared to release the word because as you read through it, you come to realize that the things that are being laid out in it, when you fully know it, if you don't heed it, you actually fall under a curse. Then God basically told me, if you're guilty of it, you're already under a curse. If you release it, those that have been hindered by it can understand and be freed of it. But in recognizing it and understanding it, it can relieve a lot of the hindrance and delay, I believe, in a lot of families and in a lot of ministries. But I also say to remember, as we go through it, when it does hit points, that if God is correcting you, it's because he is perfecting you. He perfects, he corrects those sons in whom he loves. Um, we're going to look at it from the physical standpoint of it, of the father, but we're also going to parallel it to a spiritual standpoint of the minister because ministers are spiritual fathers. Just like parents are responsible for their children spiritually, ministers are responsible for their spiritual children. So there's a parallel in both. But to understand the story, Eli was a priest and a judge of Israel who once being blessed by God moved from complacency to compromise to curse. He was, according to scripture, by all accounts, a good man. He loved God. He served the Lord. He didn't do anything that we would look at as sinful, and he spent his whole life in the service of God. Yet, though he began blessed, he ended up cursed, and it was because of complacency. We'll get to it later, but there is a point in the story in which Eli's blessing is mentioned. Now, when God gave the blessing, it's not recorded in Scripture. But later on, when he's cursed, God refers back to the blessing in the curse, so we know that there was a blessing. And the blessing, and I quote directly from the curse, was that he said, Indeed, that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. So this was a blessing and a promise that God had given Eli, that his house and his father's house would walk before him, in other words, be part of the priesthood forever. And so he was blessed with this blessing. But then we go into the story and see what happens. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel 1 Samuel 1.1. 1, 1. And we're going to read through the story, but we're going to kind of skip through it, and I'll just fill you in on the in-betweens because we can't read it all because it covers, like, I don't know, four chapters, four or five chapters, yeah. So we're going to hit on the main points. We will read a lot of it, but not all of it. So starting in verse 1, we read, Now there was a certain man, Ramatham, Zophram, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Paniah. 
And Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Shiloh was basically the church. This is before the time of kings when they had judges that ruled over Israel. Shiloh was like the head church there where the tabernacle was. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. So in Shiloh, the priest of the Lord were Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And so this man who has two wives is going to sacrifice and he does this every year and he brings his two wives one has children and one does not Hannah was barren and the other wife tormented her sorely she teased her she picked at her she she intentionally tried to hurt her and bring pain and and reproach and disgrace upon her because in that time it was very important to bear sons for your husband and all of this so Hannah was very heartbroken about this and as he did so year by year, we're going to skip down to verse 7 for time's sake. When she went up to the house of the Lord, talking about Hannah, so she provoked her, the other wife provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. So here's the high priest. He's sitting by his post. She's knelt down and she's praying and weeping before the Lord. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaiden and remember me and not forget thy handmaiden, but will give unto thine handmaiden a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunken neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaiden to be a daughter of Belial. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken thitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaiden find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. So we see that Eli, acting in the function of a priest, had the anointing and the authority to proclaim this blessing on her. But the Lord had granted it because of her travailing and her, her crying and her praying. Now, there's an interesting thing to point out here because we can begin even here in the first mentions to see some character flaws. 
in Eli. If you ask any scholar or theologian or person learned in the Bible, name me the most important prayers in the Bible, they're going to tell you the Our Father, David's repentance, and Hannah's prayer in the narrative of the Bible overall, in the way that they shifted the, the spectrum of the story. And yet here was this priest, this man of God, and he didn't even recognize travailing prayer. She's at the altar praying and crying out to the Lord, something he should have been doing every day. And he thought she was crazy. He thought she was drunk. That tells you a little bit about the character of the priest, that he was not a man of prayer or of travail or a man that was truly close to the Lord. He was walking in an office that had been granted to him, and yes, granted by God, and he was empowered by an anointing, but he was not taking the labor of love that is dedicated and involved to be in that position because he did not recognize her travailing prayer and he thought her crazy for doing it. Now, Eli was clearly loved by God. God had blessed him. God had chosen him. And if you read through the story, you actually begin to realize that he was walking in the blessings of his father, that he was kind of passed down from other, he wasn't the first priest in this, this bloodline. In fact, he was of the bloodline of Aaron. So a lot of that blessing came down through the priesthood. But he wasn't actually a bad man. He was just a complacent one. He didn't really do that much wrong. He just failed to do what was right. He was omitting. Continuing the story, skip down to verse 24, and we're going to read how God births one who will listen. Interesting note, Samuel, who is the child that she prayed for, that she said, I will give to the Lord, and God gave her Samuel for the service. Samuel's name is derived from the Hebrew word Shema, which means to hear, to listen, and to obey everything that Eli was not doing. He was not hearing from God. He was not listening to God when God did speak, and he surely did not obey. Now, Shema does not mean just to hear from God. Be not hearers of the word only, deceiving yourself, but doers. Shema means to actually hear and do it. Just like when you tell your kids, you, you're telling them to do something, and you know they hear you, but they're not doing it. You're like, you're not listening to me. You know they hear you, but they're not doing it, so they're not listening. And that's the encompass of Shema. It means not just to hear it, but to do it. So Hannah conceives, and as soon as the child was weaned, she brought him up to the priest and gave him to the Lord. She kept him only enough for him to be weaned, and then she handed him over. Here's here, the service of the Lord. I promised him to God, and I'll give it to him. So verses 24, we'll pick back up in the story. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord have given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, also, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. All right. Now, flip over to Samuel 2, verse 11. We're going to get a little bit into the story of Eli's kids. Now, there is a reason that God had to birth one that would listen to him 
that there was even a need for someone to be given to the service of the Lord when there were already three priests there. And we pick that part up in verse 11. And Elkanah went to Ramah, to his house, and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli, the priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belal. They knew not the Lord. First interesting point here. Eli was quick to call Hannah out as a daughter of Belal because he thought she was drunken because he didn't recognize her travailing prayer in her brokenness and heartache. But his own sons actually were sons of Belal, and they were functioning within the temple. To willingly bring sin into God's house and bring reproach upon his name makes you a child of Satan in God's eyes because you're doing the devil's will and you're showing the devil's power to be stronger than God's power, to be greater than the blood and the sacrifice. You are putting Jesus to an open shame. This actually came up another confirmation. This came up in Sunday School Sunday when it talked about how when Jesus hung on the cross, how he put the devil and all of his enemies and all of the powers of hell to an open shame. How did he do that? By overcoming them in public view. But when a person professes to be a child of God, especially one operating in functions of ministry, and of course we are all priests under the new covenant through Christ, we're all priests. So this applies to everybody not just the ministers, but especially when you put yourself forth as being seen to minister to others and you willfully do things that show forth sin, what you are doing is then showing that the enemy has overcome in the blood. So you have put Jesus to an open shame and God takes that very, very seriously. You are a hypocrite. And it's not just that, okay, I, somebody just got saved and they're learning to walk this walk out and they're tripping and they're stumbling and all of that. God has grace and mercy for that. But when you put yourself up there in part of the minute, there has to be a divide. There has to be a line in the sand. There has to be a, a, a demonstration of holiness amongst those professing to be a representation of Christ. So this story is going to apply to parents concerning their children, but it's also going to apply to ministers concerning their disciples. Or their spiritual children. Do you let yours, your kids, physical parents to your own children or spiritual parents to your, your spiritual children, do you let yours get away with what you judge others for? Do you preach a hard preach out there, but do you not hold them to it here? So for by podcast ministers, that applies to worship team. That applies to altar service. That applies to teachers and preachers and those that are praying for people. That applies to anyone that is putting themselves in the public view because if you fall publicly, you shame Christ publicly. You put him to a open shame. There has to be a divide. And we have to show God as holy because he is holy. Therefore, you have to represent him holy. Do you know that is the only reason that... Moses was not allowed into the promised land. He didn't make it into promise. The Bible says clearly because he did not show God as holy before the people. When he got frustrated and struck the rock, he represented God. Therefore, his actions represented God and it showed him as not holy before the people. So he didn't enter in. 
So it's a very serious matter. God takes it very seriously. All right, so let's continue on to see the issue here. We're going to look at the sins of Eli's kids. Go to verse 13. This was part of the ritual. They would come and all of the meat from the sacrifice would be the people brought their sacrifices and they would cut the meat up. They would throw it all together in a big pot and boil this meat and he would take a, a fish, a, a hook of three prongs. They would put it in and they would pull out and whatever the Lord wanted them to have, that's what they would get. Whatever they pulled out, that was it. They couldn't take any more. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the flesh hook brought up the priest took for himself. Also, therefore, they burnt the fat, the priest's servants came, and they burnt the fat, they couldn't keep the fat, and said unto the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as their souls desired, then he would answer them, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Let me explain to you what's going on here. They were supposed to only take after the people had sacrificed and gone, drop their hook in, take out what the Lord gives to them, whatever, unclean, go and eat that. They didn't want that. They wanted the choices cut. They wanted it raw. They would take the sacrifices literally from the people, butcher it, kill it, take what they wanted from it, eat what they wanted, throw the rest back for sacrifice. And I will tell you, there are preachers that endorse the practice of all of the tithe that comes into the church goes directly to the pastor. That is absolutely unscriptural. The purpose here was for the, the sacrifice to go unto the Lord. Because if you're giving it all to the person, you're worshiping that person. You give it all to the Lord, and then the Lord decided what portion of it went back. That's how the priest always ate. Right. The ox is worthy of his labor. The workman's worthy of his labor. Right. But God made provision for that. But they were taking what they wanted. They were selfish. They were consuming the sacrifice on their own lust. They were handling the people very poorly. The people, and here's the thing, they were sinning. They were not following the ordinances of God, and the people knew it. So it made the people abhor the offering of the Lord. And I looked up the original word there, and it says to scorn, to blaspheme, to lose respect for, or to have contempt for the offering of the Lord. And let me tell you something. When you put yourself before the church, when you're praying for people, when you're singing songs, when you're doing all these things, and you do something that is sinful that the people know you ought not to be doing, it causes the people to lose respect for the blood of Jesus, for the sacrifice. That's what the sacrifice represented. The sacrifice that they were stealing and robbing and consuming on their own lust was the blood of Jesus. When you walk into an office unworthily, you are consuming the blood of Jesus onto yourself for your own lust. And that's what they were doing. And God hated it. When you put yourself forth to be a priest of God and show yourself a servant of sin, it scorns and blasphemes Jesus' blood. Hannah, after she gave Samuel up to the Lord, she ended up having five more kids. Uh, and Hannah brought a coat every year, which represented her mantle, I believe. Coats in scripture always represented mantle. Every year she brought a new coat to little Samuel. And I believe that represented her mantle of prayer and favor with God. 
because he's being raised up in this house by this priest who obviously doesn't even know what travailing prayer is, but I think that represented him inheriting her travailing prayer, her prayer life, her communion with the Lord. But it was passed on to Samuel, and Samuel grew ministering unto the Lord even from a small boy. All right, now go down to verse 22, and we will look at Eli's light rebuke and his move into compromise. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel. All right, so there's parents, and they hear what their kids are doing, but they, oh, not my baby. Or they know, and they just don't do anything about it. And I will parallel that to ministers. You hear all the talk that's going on in town about that person that's laying hands on people and prophesying or whatever the issue, or that person that's getting up and singing that song. You hear the talk all over about everybody knows what they're doing, but you're not doing anything about it. But that applies to everybody. It does fall on the leadership of the house, but we don't always see everything and we don't always hear everything, though God usually does find a way to bring the truth back to us. Sometimes you might hear before we hear and it still needs to be dealt with because it's bringing reproach on God's name. And God cannot move because he can't endorse it. If there are those standing representing him, but not representing him as holy, then his hands are tied. He cannot endorse it. Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. All right, They were sitting outside the front door of the church and soliciting fornication. He knew about it, didn't act on it. And he said unto them, why do ye such things? Now he, he, he reprimanded them. Why, why are you doing this? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my son, for it is no good report that I hear. Ye make the Lord's people to transgress. And this is very serious. When a person within the church is openly committing sin and showing that to other people, especially new converts, you are making them to transgress because you're making it seem okay. And you're also telling them the blood of Jesus doesn't work. You're never going to get free of this, so just come on with me continue to sin. If one man sin against another, this is Eli says, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto his vo the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay him. All right, so let me explain what's going on here. Eli goes to his sons, and he tells them, why are you doing this? You're putting God's name to shame, and you're causing the people to sin. But he didn't do anything about it. And let me tell you something, parents and preachers, just telling your kids they're not supposed to do it is not enough in God's eyes. You have the power and the authority to stop them from doing it. And if you do not, the blood is on your hands. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are, the blood of those souls that are lost, it's on your hands because you were the one that could have stopped it. Now, for the pastors, we can't go out to every congregation member and drag them out of the, the bar or whatever and keep them from sinning. But you can amongst those that are operating in the functions of the church. You can say, look, you can come and hear the word, but you can't play music anymore. You can come and hear the word, but you can't teach anymore. You can come and hear the word and, and get it right, but you can't lay hands on people anymore. You can't pray. Don't be giving them people prophecy because obviously you're not hearing from the right spirit. 
you have to take a stand. You have to stand for God so that he is represented as holy before the people. He told them what was right, but he did not enforce his words. He did not take action to protect the sheep from those under his authority. Therefore, the sin was laid upon him. Eli didn't want to have to deal with this problem himself, of which he had the authority and position to do. So he warned them to face God with their sins, but they knew that if they would, they would die in his presence for being unclean and unrepentant. Basically, what Eli was saying is, what you're doing is wrong, but I I don't want to be the the one that has to enforce it and correct you. So I think you need to go and take this before the Lord. And they're like, well, no, we're not doing that because God's going to kill us. As parents, I think some are guilty, but I know for sure as spiritual parents, I've personally been guilty of this, where I knew there was an issue and I'm praying about it. I'm like, God, please deal with it. God, please deal with it. God, please show them, Lord, Lord, deal with it. And what God showed me through this is that he, in his mercy, cannot or has not dealt with it because if he deals with them, he's got to deal with you because you're just as guilty for letting it happen. So in his mercy, he has refrained from dealing with it to give you opportunity to stand your ground and take your part so that he doesn't have to curse you with them when he brings the judgment. We will all be held accountable, parents and spiritual parents, for what we let those under our watch and authority do. Remember that we are watchmen on the wall in that story in Ezekiel about if you were a watchman on the wall and you don't warn the person of their sin and if you don't do something about it then their blood is on your hands so it applies all right now we're going to skip down to verse 27 where God pronounces the curse this is the consequences of these actions in either parents or spiritual parents all right in verse 27 we read and there came a man of God unto Eli Oh, this man of God. He doesn't even get a name in scripture, but a prophet, a person, a man of God. It doesn't even say a prophet, just a man of God. Maybe just a righteous person from the congregation comes to the priest and gives him this word. I bet he was shaking in his boots or maybe he had righteous indignation. But there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him, thus saith the Lord, did I plainly appear unto the house of thy father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? And did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest? Wherefore kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering. Sinning in the church, kicking at my sacrifice. It's like the verse where he says that you trample the blood of Jesus underfoot because now Jesus is our sacrifice. You trample him underfoot, which I have commanded in my habitation and honorest thy sons above me. Honoring your son above me. You're letting your children sin in the church. You're letting your children sin and, and lead the congregation astray and cause issue. You're putting your children before God. They have become your idol. You are an idol worshiper. Minister, same thing. There's somebody within the church, you know what? You know, I preached about this to all the world to hear that they shouldn't do this and they shouldn't allow this, but, you know, I really care about this person, so I'm going to give them a little bit more grace. Let me tell you something. And when there's a wolf in the sheep's herd and they're eating up the sheep, you have to deal with them. Even if that wolf's become a little bit of a pet and you really care about it, you know, 
You can't just let it keep eating the lamb. And I've seen this happen so many times, and that's the way the devil works. He'll bring somebody in, and you grow to love them over time, and you really do genuinely care about them, and you don't want to lose them, but they are eating the lambs. Every time somebody comes in, they're discouraging, they're distracting them, they're encouraging sin in their life, they're causing an issue. And remember the word that came forth last Saturday night, if you're not gathering, you're scattering. So those that are not bringing in and gathering, those that are laboring to bring in, these people are constantly scattering and sending them back out. But you've grown to love them, and so you keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. And God told me one time, you know, I was praying about a person like this, and I was praying, I was like, God, but we don't want to lose one. He's like, but are you willing to lose a thousand to keep that one? And, you know, I came to realize that the passage when he talks about if the hand offends you cut it off or the eye I began to realize that if you read that whole chapter as a whole it's not talking about a person it's talking about a body the church it says it's better to go into heaven without a member one of the members of your congregation than to let that one member drag the whole body to hell cut it off and you know I used to not think I'll give you a quick little story and then I'll come back to this when Danny was in Bible college uh, he had a friend that was eating the sheep in crossfire. This was uh, Gabe's services. There were, he was a young man, and, and there were lust issues, and, and he just kept causing issues, and he was eating the sheep. And Gabe, obviously it was not an easy thing because they had been friends before. Gabe put him out, cut him off. You cannot come to church here anymore. And I thought that was because I had been raised up in my lifetime. I had never seen anybody put out. We just tolerated people until the very last and tried and, and sweat and bled and gave ourselves heart attacks to take care of people. And I was like, oh, how he needs the church more than anybody else. He's a wretched sinner. And, and I actually, you know, I was kind of harsh on Gabe for that because I didn't think that was right. But though I condemned him for it, then I commend him for it now. Because not until he put him out did it finally set into him that he was wretched and he needed help. And actually, God sent me to minister to him because I could handle him without getting eaten up like the rest of the little lambs were. I was a little more mature, and I could give him that hard word and direct him, and he straightened up. But I don't think he'd have ever straightened up if Gabe wouldn't have put his foot down and put him out because here's the problem with these people. He was spoiled. He was raised up. It was just like Eli. Oh, my baby, you shouldn't do that, but never restrained him, never made him not do it. No discipline, no consequences. And so you've got people who were raised up by parents that never restrained their children. Therefore, their children never learned how to restrain themselves. They never had any consequences for listening to the devil's voice. So they never feared any consequences. And when Gabe restrained him and made him face consequences for the first time in his life, he began to realize, I'm not getting a free pass. I'm not getting a free pass into this church anymore, and I'm not getting a free pass into heaven. And he began to straighten up. And God sent me, and he sent people to minister to him. And he did eventually turn around, but I don't think he ever would have if he'd have been allowed to stay there and eat the sheep. Thou honorest thy sons before me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Wherefore, the Lord God of Israel saith, I said, indeed, that thy house, this is where he goes into the pronouncing the curse. So the Lord God of Israel saith to you, I did indeed say that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me 
For them that honor me, I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house, that there shall not be an old man in thine house. So you see what God did. He had already blessed it that his lineage would continue as a priesthood, so he couldn't undo his blessing. But he alters it to say that though they will be born, none of them will live old enough. It will all, they will always be cut off in the prime of life. Your ministry will always be cut short. You'll never make it to fruition. And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation, in all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thine house forever. And the man of thine, whom I shall, shall not cut off from mine altar, shall be to consume thine eyes, and to grieve thine heart, and all the increase of thine house shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons, on Hophni and on Phinehas, in one day they shall die, both of them. So he's saying, I'm professing this on your lineage forever, on your ministry forever, but to prove to you that it's really God, your two sons that are causing all this trouble now, they're going to die on the same day. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. He shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and shall say, Put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. Now there's straightforward what you just read is exactly what he meant and then there's spiritual parallels here. For one, silver represents purity. Bread represents the word and Jesus Christ. So he's saying your priesthood will continue because I've already promised that but it's never going to flourish and it's going to always be cut off right in the prime. Right when you think that things are going good, this, this root, this seed, this issue in your, in your family that you refuse to deal with is going to spring out and it's going to cut that ministry off. It's going to shut it down and their lives will be cut short also. And I will leave some there just to show you so that there can be a grieving as to what you missed and what you could have had. He said, but I will raise up a faithful priest. I will raise up somebody who will hear me, who will do what's in my heart and what's in my mind. Now, partially that is fulfilled in Samuel, whose very name has the essence of the one who will hear God, but it's not fully fulfilled until many generations later, and I'll show you that. But he said that they will come to this new priest seeking silver, which is purity, and bread, which is the word and Jesus. Those that are of the pure, the true priesthood, they will carry the purity. They will carry the word. And that's the ones that will eventually be sought out. Now, I want you to take note of this. He got this word from God, from the Lord, and he still didn't do anything about it. I think even, I mean, it's possible that once it was professed that there was no turning back from it. That's usually the case. But you think he would have at least tried. I mean, even David, you know, his child was going to die or whatever. He fasted and prayed and tried and you know, who knows if the Lord will repent and turn away from this. He's still being complacent about it. And so we see it continues on. 
he has a loss of vision, both spiritual and physical. So go to chapter 3 and verse 1, and it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Now remember, Eli ministered to the people. Samuel ministered to the Lord. This is going to come up later. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. There was no more open vision in the land. The Lord was not showing him anything anymore. Why? Because God had already showed him something and he didn't heed it. Let me tell you something. If God speaks something to you, if he shows you something either in the word or orally and you don't listen to it, don't expect him to keep showing you. He's still waiting for you to obey that first thing that he showed you. And because he refused to deal with it, not only was the vision spiritually lost, but his physical vision began to fade. He was waning away. The gates of heaven began to close over Shiloh at this point. Remember that where the head goes, the body will follow. So for fathers and parenting children, or parents really even in general, where the head goes, the body will follow. But for the church, the ministers apply to that also. A father is going to lead either by action or by inaction. If you don't do something, you're still leading. It's still leading somewhere. The spiritual state of a minister determines the spiritual state of the ministry and therefore the territory for which it is an embassy. If a church is truly an embassy and that those ministers, all of the ministers, because Eli wasn't doing anything wrong, but his sons were, and that affected the whole ministry. Doesn't matter how righteous Eli is, the sons aren't doing right. And so by proxy, he's doing wrong because he's not stopping them. So same thing with the household. Your children, while they are under your authority, we're not talking about, you know, 45-year-old children. There are some still children at 45. We're not talking about that. While they're under your authority in your house, you know, it's kind of like, you know, parents, while you're in under my roof, you're going to do what I say. Well, pastors need to say that too. While you're under this roof, you're going to do what the Holy Spirit says. The spiritual state of the ministers will reflect the spiritual state of the ministry, and you will see that reflected in the territory around that it is sent to be an, an embassy for. If there is purity and righteousness and holiness and ministering unto the Lord by the ministers, then the gates of heaven are going to open and you're going to see that glory fall in the church, and that's going to spill out and affect the territory or the region of the community around it. If the gates are shut, you're going to see that too. But still, nothing was done about Hophni or Phineas. Eli wanted God to deal with them, but it was his job to do that. So God couldn't deal with them without dealing with Eli also. And I think this is why God gave him so much time, hoping that he would deal with them so he wouldn't have to deal with the whole bunch of them. Now we see darkness enter the Holy of Holies because the issue has still not been dealt with. Go to verse 3. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. Samuel was just a kid. 
So he runs to Eli, and he's like, hey, what do, you, what do you need? I heard you call me. And he's like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed, and then he hears somebody call him again, Samuel, Samuel, and he gets up, and he's like, here am I. I'm coming. He runs back to Eli. Eli's like, I did not call you. Go back to bed. And then he realizes this kid must be hearing from God because I'm sure not. So he tells him, hey, if you hear the call again, say, here I am, Lord, and answer. Go to verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Underline that in your Bible. Doesn't matter how much he told them, he did not restrain them. He did not stop them. He had the power and authority to do it. So the blood was on his hands. Physical parents, spiritual parents, we've already talked about this. It is your job. And and here's here's a sobering fact. And we don't look things through the way God sees it. You know, whenever God gives me a dream about something. It's always so dramatic, and I'm so full of, oh, my gosh, and Danny thinks I'm crazy. I'm like, this is going to happen. And then when it plays out, it never seems to be quite as bad. And, and I'm, you know, I said, but you know what? That's the way God saw it. Sin is always a lot more serious to God than it is to us because he sees the far-reaching, encompassing effects of it. So it is that serious, right? It is that serious. We just don't think it's that serious because we don't see the full spectrum of it. So, all right, so let's look at the, the progression of what's going on because this progression will happen in your family, but it will also happen in your church if you do these things. Eli was hearing from God because obviously God blessed him. Eli, he's complacent about the sin in the camp, and then he compromises, and he's allowing these things to happen. He's still hearing from God because if God is correcting you, he is trying to perfect you, so he sends the word. He still has not done anything about it. He begins to lose his sight. The whole congregation has lost their vision. And then, continuing on, darkness enters the Holy of Holies. The gates of heaven are shut. There's no more presence. There's no more glory. The candle goes out. At this point, it is so bad that this once great man of God with promise and blessing who hasn't committed any open sin that we would say as sinful, but by omittance has allowed sin into the camp, is now begging a child for a word from the Lord. He no longer can hear God for himself. 
for the sin of his refusal to restrain his children from doing damage to God's house, name, and people. Because he did not listen to what God told him the first time, God stopped speaking. Go to verse 14. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifices nor offerings forever. There's no undoing this curse. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, I am here. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. Verse 18, And Samuel told him every wit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. He couldn't deny it. He knew it was God. Still unwilling to do anything about it. Oh well, let God do what he wants to do. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. I love that. He didn't let a single word that he spoke fall to the ground. Every prophetic word he gave, there wasn't no 99% accuracy. He didn't let a word fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. God returns to Shiloh, which is this church. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So God comes, but he's skipping Eli and all the rest of them. He's going straight to Samuel. So the word begins to be fulfilled. Um, skip ahead to chapter 4, verse 4, and I'll just give you a little bit of the background that we're skipping. Israel goes to battle against the Philistines and loses. They hadn't lost because they'd had the Ark of the Covenant. They'd had the presence. They had the glory of God, and no enemy can stand in the presence of God. They had that anointing. They had the power. Because remember that Moses said, God, how will they know that we're any different than anybody else, than any other nation, than any other church, than any other people, than the Lord? How will they know that we're any different from the world unless your presence be with us? His presence was with them. It brought power. It brought authority. It brought victory. But for the first time, they get defeated by the Philistines. And so they ask for the ark. Okay, bring, bring, the, bring the ark out. We're going to fight him again with God's presence here this time. We, we know we probably shouldn't have gone without his presence, but you know he had kind of been favoring us and, and helping us out. But we're going to take this serious. Bring the ark. We need the presence. We can't, defeat, we can't be defeated when the presence is here. So in verse 4 it says, So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang out. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. 
Think of the Philistines as like the devil and the demons. And, and they're like, oh my gosh, the presence has entered the room. We're now shaking and trembling and fearing. And we hear this great noise and ruckus. The ark is here. The presence is here. And the Philistines were afraid for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe unto us for there hath not been such a thing beforehand unto this. Woe unto us who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues of the wilderness. So the enemy's trembling. They know God's presence has kept them safe to this day. It has defeated any enemy. It's mightier than any army. And then jump to verse 10. The Philistines fought. They go back into battle. And Israel was smitten. And they fled every man into his tent. And there was a great slaughter, a very great slaughter for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen and the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas were slain they did not know that the presence of God had departed they went right into their ritual right into their service right into their battle the enemy was shaken and then when the fighting start the enemy realized oh God's not here we can have our way. And he took them all out. And they stole the Ark of the Covenant. They did not know that the presence of God had departed and they were overtaken. God removed his presence, his glory, his protection, his anointing, and the enemy took over it all while fulfilling the curse brought on by Eli's refusal to restrain his sinful children from making a mockery of God's name and character before the people. Verse 12, and there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh and came that same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching and his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. Now the vision is completely and totally gone. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass, when he made mention of the ark of God, that he fell from off his seat backwards by the side of the gate, and his neck brake, and he died for he was an old man and heavy. And he had judged Israel 40 years, and his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, was with child, near to be delivered. And when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, and her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, 
neither did she regard it. God kept his word here. Remember in the first blessing that his house would not be cut off, that his lineage would continue. In the same day that him and his two sons died, a grandson was born. That continues the bloodline. That's part of the prophecy, the original blessing being fulfilled. But at the same time, his sons dying in the prime of their life, their lives cut short, it fulfills the curse. God always, you're not going to outsmart God. 21, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken. Ichabod means the glory has departed. And God will write Ichabod over any church or ministry that refuses to deal with sin in the ministry, in the leadership, or to preach it even to the congregation. It doesn't mean he's shutting down the ministry, but the glory will depart. He won't be part of it. There's a lot of ministries out there that are operating without the presence of God. They are all Ichabod. They are Shiloh. To the father who won't correct his children when he knows to do so, God's presence will leave his home. To the minister who won't correct his spiritual children when he knows to do so, the presence of God will leave his church. The glory will depart. God will not be mocked. And God holds those who allow it to happen just as responsible as those who caused it to happen. Eli put his kids before God. Therefore, they became idols, and he became an idol worshiper. God called them sons of Belial. Therefore, did he give Belial place in God's house? And the Bible says that God will not share his glory with another. So it departed. Now, you might think that's the end of the story, but it's not. The curse continues. Eli's great-grandson is Ahimelech, and Ahimelech is a priest. He's the priest, if you remember, that when David was on the run from Saul, he went and asked for bread, and they fed him and all that. And then, But he didn't know what was going on. And so then David leaves, and when Saul comes through, he finds him, and he's like, you knew what you were doing, and you helped him. And he's like, no, I didn't. And they killed a whole bunch of them. That was Ahimelech. His life cut short. His ministry cut short in the midst of it. That was part of that curse continuing in that lineage. However, his son escaped, do you remember? And David... Well, there you go. That's the Lord. His son is Abiathar. He was the sole survivor of the massacre of Nod, which again goes back to the blessing. The blessing that he said, like your, your lineage, I'm going to make sure your lineage survives because I've already promised you that, but they're going to always be cut short. They're going to always mess up. They're going to always fall. Ahimelech uh, is killed, but his son is the sole survivor, so the lineage continues and the blessing stands. All right, the curse completed as the family character re surfaces. Abiathar is the last high priest of Eli's line. So God, today we humble ourselves. We come before you and we pray for your mercy. God, we repent of complacency, of compromise, of trying to do things our way and listening to the enemy's lies. God, we ask that you would open our blinded eyes 
that we might have vision, that we might see the way you see, so that I might believe what you speak to me in all assurity, that I might move in obedience and purity before my Lord God. Raise up a people that are zealous for righteousness to be in right standing with you, that will lay down their pride and recognize that you are God and you know what's best. You see the end from the beginning and there is a reason for everything that you are speaking to us. Lord, teach us how to trust, how to trust you and not ourselves, to be more concerned, to be more concerned about souls than our comfort, about the influence that we place on others by our compromise. God, we want to be a people of legacy that lead people generationally in the right way and not in the wrong. Because my friend, tomorrow when we continue this, I'm going to take you through the generations of Eli because it did not stop with just his own children. The things that were spoken prophetically came to pass over the next several generations in amazing ways and you want to make sure that you listen to it so that you can grasp the complexity and completeness of what the Lord was trying to do and to prevent from happening to Eli and his generations because the seeds that we plant in our life will produce fruit long after we're gone let it be good seeds, seeds of righteousness, that it produce the fruits of the Spirit and not those fruits of iniquity that cause men as trees to be cut down and cast into the fire. God, we come before you humbly and say, use me for your glory to be that demonstration. God, cause me to bend the knee, strip away any flesh. God, search our hearts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Shine the light on every corner of our life and cause us to see any root of selfishness, pride, compromise, complacency, or deceit. Anything that is selfish, any root that the enemy might use to corrupt the good fruit that you want to produce in me. God, open our eyes that we might see. Lord, show us that we may repent. And my friend, if there be anything that you know that you have walked in, that is sin, that is selfishness, that is compromise or complacency, confess that before the Lord today and repent. Because he is willing to take away the curse of this sin, that it not leave you blind therein or cut short what he had planned for your generations. Father, as ministers, we repent of anything that we have done that has misrepresented the Holy Spirit. We pray that you show us that we would be humble enough to sit with you daily, to open your word and to pray and to say, God, show me your character. Cultivate the fruits of the Spirit in me that I might represent you rightly. And make me to be one of those ministers that will weep and wail between the porch and the altar. To gather and sanctify 
the people, God, that we might be able to cry out and you hear and come out of your closet. And when they pray, because you see in the book of Joel, whenever the prophet said that these ministers would weep and wail before the Lord and cry out, Lord, let not your name be made a reproach that you be put to shame before the heathens and your people be overtaken by them because that they have come into agreement with the enemy. It says to call a solemn assembly and to sanctify the congregation. And when this happened, it says that the bridegroom stepped out of his chamber. God, I pray for a church that is sanctified, for leadership that will not compromise, who will preach holiness and righteousness and the truth of the word of God and will demonstrate it with their light, that they be a light unto the nations and the generations and not a blight on the righteousness of the bride of Christ. God, sanctify your church. Sanctify the leadership, Lord, that they might sanctify the congregation so that we might be counted a pure and spotless bride that can cry out so that the bridegroom can hear the shout and beckon to the voice of a true bride, the one who abides, the one who trusts in his voice and not in the lies of the enemy, it's time for the church to be sanctified. So God, we pray for revival in the pulpit so that it can come to the pew because it's time that the preachers repent to pray, to trust the words that you've had to say. Not the teachings of books, the traditions of men or the doctrines of demons, but the very word of the living God. Open our eyes that we can see it open our ears that we can receive it, pierce our heart that we might believe it and bring us revelation of the severity and damnation that comes when we don't live it. It's time that the church repented because for many the glory has already departed and they're just faking it. But God, you, in your mercy, you always give space for repentance. So we pray that you prick the hearts, that today, even as the prophet Nathan did to David and pointed his finger and said, you are the man that if there be any under the sound of my voice that says, I have been guilty of that, that they would come before you as David did and say, Lord, I acknowledge my sin and I repent. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to give the enemy place in the sanctuary. To spread his lies. And even if it cost me the numbers, the multitudes, the money, or the praises of men, I will commit to see to it that my pulpit shows forth your glory, that my leadership, that my worship, that my deaconship is sanctified and walking in right standing with God. So that the king of glory can come in and endorse the things that we are saying and demonstrating with our lives. Because that we have believed the word of Jesus Christ. God send a wave across this nation of repentance and sanctification to the pulpits that it might then spread 
to the congregation. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.